Welcome to the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. Healthcare is broken, and we aim to fix it one conversation at a time. Hello there, Spencer, your host. As always, good to hear from you, good to see you, nice to know you, thanks for being here. Um, I'm excited to share this conversation, and although I feel like I'm obligated, right, to say that every time, because I wouldn't be like, hey, this next conversation is not very good, skip it. No, but this one, I think, is one of the more interesting conversations I've had on all of the podcasts. Because my next guest, Randy Ryder, who is SVP for Hub International, a really large insurance agency, um, we had a really interesting way that we ran into each other, that we met a happenstance meeting a couple years ago, really early on in the, in the pandemic that, you know, you look at it now and you go, that was a serendipitous occurrence. There were forces beyond our understanding moving on our behalves. And I don't know if I was placed there to meet him or he was placed there to meet me or maybe it was a mutual thing. But you just look at that event and go, man, that's not chaos at work. That's not um, coincidence. And so when you start with the way that we ran into each other for the first time, you know, it makes for interesting conversation and it makes for – a comfort level that allows us to go below the surface of pleasantries and what do you do? How does how does this work? How did this work? And then we got deep into things like relationships and to uh, our roles as fathers. Again, as, as uh, conversations about faith, um, things that I think resonate on a very human level. And yes, we talked insurance. Yes, we talked healthcare. Yes, we talked all of that. We even discussed his time as a hurdler uh, in high school. But the conversation we had to me was a much deeper one. And I'm so excited to share it because I was impacted by it. I personally left that podcast going, man, that was good. Like, I want to listen to it again and again, because I maybe missed things in the moment that I thought Randy said that were profound. And I hope, you know, maybe you pick up on some things that I said as well. So without further ado, probably one of the, hopefully the most impactful conversations I've had so far to date on this podcast, and I hope you agree, uh, episode 43 with Randy Ryder, Self-Funded with Spencer. Awesome, man. Well, Randy, let's, let's do a podcast. Randy Ryder, how are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Well, good. I, you know, we, we met, I feel like, or at least we ran into each other. I feel like guys run into each other. We right. don't meet. But um, so we ran into each other, which I think is a funny story to get this going, at right. Cheeky Monkey. So what do you remember about that happenstance <laughs> uh, meeting at Cheeky Monkey? And maybe uh, describe what Cheeky Monkey is before people are like, what is Cheeky Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheeky Monkey is um, uh, an indoor play place uh, with, with trampolines and, and all kinds of things, jungle gyms and things that kids can, can climb on. Uh, and I remember We were in the vividly, trampoline room, right? We were like, in the yeah. trampoline room, and I remember vividly watching you bounce – and thinking to myself, this is somebody I need to know. <laughs> well, I think I, I serendipitously, I think I had my plan site uh, yeah. shirt on at the time. You know, good kudos for me for good on representing you, man. branding. But uh, yeah, we're. Yeah. I think but my daughter was probably three, three and a half at the yep. time, and yep. of course, the time that this happened, right, was April or something of 2020. Yeah, um, pre right, like early COVID. Yeah, early yeah. COVID before everybody's figuring out what a lockdown is yeah, and some yeah. places were open and I'm like, I got to get my kids out of the house. Yeah, that's right. and I think you had the same idea. Right. Yeah. And so we, we run into each other, get chit chat and kind of started a conversation. Yeah. But also I think the, the interesting thing part about that serendipity is you had just moved from California to Texas, right? Like a couple weeks prior to that. Uh, yeah. Did I get my time frame right there. You're spot on. Uh, we had just moved and I remember my wife and I sitting in our living room, recognizing a week after we moved, that 
everything was shutting down yeah. and that we knew not a soul. And now what are we gonna do with these kids, right? Because mm -hmm. they can't go to school, they can't do any of these things. We need to get out of these four walls and the ceiling. We have yeah. got to go somewhere. Yeah. Hence Cheeky Monkey. Hence so. Che so thanks to Cheeky Monkey. Anybody that needs to Shout go to get their kids out of the house, for yeah, maybe I'll see if I can seek out Cheeky. That's going to be an odd uh, sponsorship. But yeah, no. It's going to work. But, so, but you were an OG California to Texas transplant, too. You kind of did yeah. it before it was cool. So talk to me about what brought you to Texas in the first place. Because I think this is a pretty interesting story. This podcast is brought to you by True Captive Insurance a premier medical stop-loss captive for employer groups ranging from 25 to 1,000 employees. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. That's why they take a white-glove approach, making it easy for employer groups to transition into a program built specifically for them. Check them out at truecaptive.com. This podcast is sponsored by PlanSight. PlanSight is a technology for employee benefits brokers to more efficiently manage their RFP process for any group size, all funding types, and over 20 benefit lines and point solutions. PlanSight is the only end-to-end -end RFP technology on the market today. Let's modernize your RFP process together. Check us out at PlanSight.com. Yeah, you know, so um, we had a four-year-old and a one-year-old at the time, and we were looking for a place where we could raise what we thought was going to be like, please and thank you boys. Right. Okay. And, like and there was an appeal to go to kind of a Southern state with that, that hospitality and that, that woven mannerism. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so Texas was really appealing to us. We ended up moving for a couple of different reasons that we might be able to talk about later, but um, when, when we got here, it was, it was just such an interesting transition because again of COVID and yeah. because of all the things, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if I answered that question very no, well. No, so, well, so Marshall Allen, I was, we were just talking about him yeah. off, the scene, or off the show beforehand. He was a New Jersey to Texas transplant. Got and it. He was talking about how he loved the hospitality. Like, everybody, yeah. he said, everybody that they talked to that moved to Texas never had a bad thing to say about Texas. Right. But then when he got here, he's like, oh, people are warm. People greet you and say hello. And I don't know how California differs from New Jersey in terms of, like, the interpersonal, you know, greetings and things like that. But was there a difference culturally? you felt when you moved here as well? 1,000%. Okay. Okay. But the, the funny thing is, he, his experience was different than mine. When I was moving from California, every single person told me, I'm going to hate it and I'm going to move back. Because they thought I would never be able to deal with anything that wasn't 72 de degrees and oh, sunny okay. every single day. Uh, weather would be a challenge and travel would be a challenge. But we got here and it's, when you look at the things that are priorities, mm -hmm. right? That you want to raise your kids in a place that has that great kind of, faith-based, um, uh, family-focused environment, this is it. It's well, been so positive. Yeah, I, I would agree with you 100%. Yeah. Although sometimes when you grow up here, you don't have sure. the proper perspective. But you think sure. that your California friends were had a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome where they didn't want you yeah. to leave. It's like, please don't go. <laughs> you know, no. is there a little bit element of that as well? Like, well, oh, I, you won't like Texas. They just want you to stay. That's right? it. My yeah. ego will say yes. Yeah. I, I will. They wanted me to stay. So they, they tried to badmouth the place I was going. That's yeah. all. Well, yeah. so uh, Randy, you're obviously SVP for Hub International. I know yeah. we're going to go uh, fairly deep into that for yeah. a moment and talk about your perspective on employee benefits, kind of what the, your self-funded background and all that stuff. But we've, we started getting in a little bit of who is Randy Ryder. So you got the two kids, you're married, you guys moved to Texas, mm -hmm. but let's go a little bit further back. Your upbringing, was it Oregon or was it California you grew up? Uh, yeah, Oregon born and raised okay. um, for my first 22 years. And then um, I was a, a biology and chemistry major in college and decided that I was not going to go for 
10 more years of school. Okay. Started asking around to my whole family about, you know, what do you actually do? What do you actually do? What do you actually do? Uh, and my uncle told me about this, this world of insurance. And totally sold me a line of goods. <laughs> <laughs> you look back at that moment, like, why did he tell me to go oh, into insurance, man? It's been the biggest blessing in the whole yeah. world. But he was telling me about, like, do you like to go to Blazers games? Do you like to go to lunches and dinners and, and skiing? All the things that would, of course, appeal to a 22-year-old. And I said, yes, of course, that, that's your job? Yeah. And, and then I got into it, and I was like, that's not your job, but okay, here I am anyway. So I'm yeah. hook, line, and sinker. Um, but But... Taking the first job, I was working with a, com a company called Cigna. Cigna said, hey, we need you in Southern California. So I moved down to Southern California and then was there for 17 years before moving here. Did, um, you, did you go, oh, cool, I get to go to California? Or was oh, there a party that didn't want to leave Oregon at the time? Like, no, like before the sentence was over, I was in a U-Haul yes, moving yeah. down south. <laughs> Southern California. You're like, wait, where are you going? You don't have a job yet. <laughs> like, awesome. I didn't know anything about the job. What am I selling? What am I doing? And it was just Southern California from a kid who's grown up with like, rainy days 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. It was just, it, it seemed like a dream, so I did it. Yeah, well, I yeah. don't blame you, man. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's a, a mass appeal for at least the, oh, the yeah. weather, the environment, the beaches, you know, yeah. sunshine in almost every day of the year. That's right. I got buddies that are out there, and believe me, that's, that's why right. they're still staying is because of those reasons. Yeah. But you, you mentioned earlier biology, right? So did you have yeah. aspirations to be a physician, or what were you going to do or originally with that career path? Yeah, no, I was... Um, you know those liberal arts kind of upbringings and, mm -hmm. and education? I was uh, one of those kids who was never a great student, not a, a student who applied myself very well, but I, I would go through the liberal arts education. And one day they forced me into a, a class that I was just not interested in. Okay. And it was anatomy and physiology. And I sat down in this class just detesting the fact that I had to be there, opened the textbook, and was immediately engrossed in this is fascinating stuff. Cool. Like the human body is incredible. And from that point forward said, this is what I want to do. Like this is, this is a really, um, again, fascinating uh, area of study. And, and I found myself, you know, uh, uh, pushing off English, pushing off math and, and opening voluntarily a <laughs> textbook about anatomy and physiology yeah. and reading about a digestive system. And it was like, and just something appealed to me. That's interesting. So, but yeah. what did you aspirationally, if you thought, well, I was going to apply this uh, fascination with anatomy yeah. to something, what would that something have been early on? Yeah, I think that that kid was probably looking to be like a surgeon. Okay. Right? Okay. Wanted to do something with it and then apply that knowledge and and continue to be fascinated by the world of just anatomy and physiology. Cool. And But then you had... That fateful this. conversation with your <laughs> uncle, and now here we are in benefits. That's uh, right. Before we move That's on right. from college, though, and even your high school career, we were talking about this a moment ago. Mm -hmm. You were a pretty competitive hurdler, which <laughs> I find fascinating that somebody, yeah. like, how do you discover hurdles is my, right. my jam, man. So yeah. tell me how you got into doing that and becoming pretty darn good at it, too. So, so I'll, I'll just stop on that. And the competitive thing, I think, is a subjective. I'll use that word. <laughs> I'll, you, you clearly were competitive enough yes. right, to be a thing. Yes. Like, so hurdling, you're jumping out. How, how tall are these hurdles? What, 36 inches? Oh, man. I, I wish I remembered the, the, the height. It's it's waist high, for okay. sure. It's to you. Waist high for you is probably chest <laughs> high for me. But so you're jumping over hurdles. But yeah. like, were you a sprinter? Were you tracking? Field guy before yeah. what happened? So I'd always been a, uh, a an athlete, kind of a universally like adept athlete, quick enough and fast enough, but never like the quickest, never the fastest, never the strongest. So I wanted to be a sprinter because I think that's where all kids want to be this like glorified sprinter. The fastest guy is the mm -hmm. guy who gets like the cred. 
Uh, but I wasn't the fastest guy, and I knew that. So I remember standing in the middle of this track on a football field, and I, I spin a 360, and I'm looking at all of the different events, thinking to myself, where am I going to get my four-year letter, mm. right? Where am I going to be the guy who shines? And I looked at a bunch of things. I looked at high jump. Nah, it's not me. I looked at like discus and, and, and shot put. No, it's definitely not me. Uh, and I'm looking at all these things. Long, long distance, no way. Okay. Uh, but I looked over and there was this guy hurdling. And he was one guy hurdling. And I thought, well, if I can just be competitive with that guy. I was guy, like, can you be, if I can be that yeah. one guy, right? If yeah. I can just be second, I'll yeah. probably get a letter, yeah. right? Yeah. They just need somebody. So I, I, I start hurdling because I, it was the path of least resistance or it was the smallest pond and that could be the biggest fish. Whatever the thought process was, I was just looking for it. How old were you at this time? Or were you Freshman. Freshman. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a freshman in high school. And, and I started doing it and I develop a little bit of aptitude to it. And I was like, hmm, okay, right? Still five-stepping and, and that's not a great thing to do in hurdles. Uh, until, you know, later on in that same season, that freshman season, I ended up... Um, doing what we call three-stepping. Yeah, explain that to me, because we were talking about that, and I, I get it, right? You're taking three steps in between hurdles, but yeah. you're saying that's the most efficient or that's ideal right. way to run the hurdles, right? Yeah, if, if you could coach somebody and say, like, the fastest way between the starting line and the finish line and, and these hurdles is to three-step between the hurdles, that's, that's what you would want to do. Okay. Um, and, and it just puts you on a cadence that makes sense and it allows you to be fast and, and be powerful and those things. So um, I... I kind of naturally or accidentally or whatever happened, I end up three-stepping in our, one of our final races that year. Um, and, and then the next year after that first gentleman had graduated and then I was the only kind of hurdler, um, I kind of accidentally did it again and, and broke the school record. And it was a younger school, so it's not like that impressive. But it was like, oh, maybe there's something here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was one of those, those early moments of success in life where you start to go, what if I doubled down on this thing, yeah. right? Like yeah. what if instead of just doing it, like I really dedicated myself and started running in the off season and like got a hurdle that I could practice with at home. So I stole a hurdle from the high school. Shh. Uh, and, and <laughs> <laughs> Cats out of the bag now for that's the right. 75 people that are going to listen to this. That, that, that's right. Yeah. Well, 25 years later, I think the statute of limitations yeah, yeah, is gone, good. so I'm you're good. good. Um, and, or I'll just send them a couple bucks for it. But um, so, I, um, so I, I started dedicating myself to it and then found that the dedication to the thing that I could potentially be good at really reaped rewards. And then I was fortunate enough to be one of the fastest kids in the state doing this thing. Um, and, and that was it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, man, because I had a very similar experience in my trajectory in soccer. Yeah. So, um, that notion of doubling down, I was okay. My freshman year yeah. JV guy, but was starting on JV, but yeah. pretty big school, but JV. Okay. Sophomore year, I make varsity yeah. and I'm going, Oh, I made it. Yeah. I'm, I'm on varsity now. Right. But then about eight games in my coach is like, well, you're not playing. Um, I'm going to put you <laughs> back down on JV. And I had this moment like, Oh my God, like I wasn't good enough. Right. And I, I always look back at that as a very pivotal moment in my my career, but also you talked about having some success or deciding to double down. Yeah. There was a path that I go, well, I'm not good enough, so I'm just going to kind of give up and let this thing play out. Or I made it there. I had a taste of what varsity and lettering was yeah. like, but I wasn't good enough at the time. Yeah. I'm not done, right? I'm a sophomore at this time. So after a practice every day, I'm at home practicing by myself. Junior year, I make the team, I'm captain. Senior year, I'm like district MVP and, you know, captain and then go home right. and play college. Right. But there was a moment in my career that I could have, uh, it was a fork, right? And if it I had gone thing, yeah. the other path, 
soccer would have been nothing in my life like it was today. But really what it was is you have a little taste of success and go, I want to be there. And the right. only thing that separated me from being there was the level of effort I put in. And so That's that right. was a very powerful life lesson for me as a young man. Now, how many times in your life do you have that potential moment where it's, it's between failure it's the it's it's defining it as opportunity as opposed to failure, mm -hmm. right? And then deciding that there's more, there's a dot 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 after that as opposed to a period. Yeah, right. I like that, man. Yeah, that's really it's, good. It's it's just interesting. I think that our our lives are 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 peppered with these opportunities constantly, mm -hmm. and that we have the 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 ability to define it how we want to define it. Well, and that's what most people quit right before they get there, right? You know, we were yeah. talking off camera about some of my on camera, you know, acting background right. and stand up right. background. Which I, I want to see some video clips. Oh uh, man, I, they're buried somewhere <laughs> intentionally. Um, but I, I I did decide to quit those because they didn't serve me for what I wanted to accomplish in life. But right. I look back, right, the really, the, I put five years in of each of them, and it, it usually takes more like 10 years before people right. really get going. So I decided to stop, but I, they say, and my acting coach would always tell me that, it's mm -hmm. like most people quit just as they're on the cusp of right. actually a breakthrough, right? And so I've applied that to other elements of my life that I actually do want to endeavor to stick with for my life. Yeah. But knowing just that most of the people that give up, they give up as they're on the cusp of something, right? And so if yeah. you have that perspective, that helps you persevere over some of the initial failures, the early failures, or as it gets hard to overcome that, that first obstacle that you meet, right? Yeah, 100%. And the other element of that that I would, I, we talked about this a little bit before, but the failures, the perceived failures, if you want to talk, call them that, laid a foundation for who you are today. Mm -hmm. And so the things that we consider to be failures and sometimes maybe look back on and say, that was a negative thing in my life. Maybe viscerally, I have a negative association with it. It's like, thank God for that thing. Right. Because without that thing, without the acting background, without the stand-up background, without the things that you've done, you wouldn't be the who you are today. 100%. Right? Yeah. And, and, and so I think if we have the ability to redefine those things and, and understand that it wasn't necessarily a failure but a building block, that's... that's well, that was so we I was just at the True Captive conference in St. Louis yeah. here on Tuesday, uh, True Captive Insurance or a captive, you know, captive yeah. manager. Um, and they put on this really cool event at Bush Stadium. Uh, so the home of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. And so it was a brilliant event. But their keynote speaker was Joel Goldberg, who is the Kansas City. I think he's the pregame and postgame guy as sure. well as does live interviews on the field. Had some relationship. I forgot exactly what his tie in was, but he worked for the Cardinals at some point as mm -hmm. well. But his, his keynote speech was two themes was play small ball, right? So do a lot of the very small things. You know, he had a, an example of a, a well-executed bunt that was like literally the perfect bunt and the third baseman commented afterwards. Yeah. Like, that was so perfectly executed. It was an indefensible right. bunt, but it was small ball, right? It was a bunt in order to get the guy on yeah, third it's base glory. home. It's not right. glorious. It right. wasn't a home run, right. small ball. The other thing he brought forth was the shape of your dreams or the form that you, your dreams come in are often not what you originally expected them to be, which is the tie-in to what we were just talking about, right? I love that. Failure of acting, right? Or failure of stand-up comedy, failure of soccer. Maybe the hurdlers, you are right below the ability level to be an Oregon <laughs> duck, right? As that's you were right. telling me as well. But that's, that's okay, right. right? Now you're right. Randy Ryder, SVP for Hub International. Yeah. Obviously, of course, your career, I'm sure, is going to continue. The form our dreams take aren't necessarily what we originally envisioned, right. but they often end up being better or better better suited for whatever form they actually do. Take. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, if, if, if we understood the tapestry of our lives, 
and, and what is laid out before us in terms of opportunities or what will happen, uh, I, I think we would be blown away in, in the way that it's not necessarily the thing that we thought we were asking for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In fact, sometimes it's, it's be, beware of what you're asking for because you might... You might, you might actually it. get it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but you yeah. think we talk about the serendipitous nature of running into each other at Cheeky Monkey to start this off. You know, I told you about my background of how I had to be in six years as a college soccer player to meet my <laughs> wife. Right. If all of those injuries and transfers and things hadn't happened, right. I would have never met my wife. Right? That's right. So that's such a that's such a crucial. There's a milestone that you could or a marker that you could set down in yep. my life before and after. Yeah. And so all those events and things, those frustrations and tears and anger and injuries and all those things, led me to meet my wife and now I have my children with her and I literally could say if all of those events had not happened in the exact sequence they happened I wouldn't have ran into her at a college party that a buddy was throwing which is because it was my last year I was there I had to be there six years to meet her right which is a crazy thing to think about in, in, in the moment you would have thought this broken toe this broken arm is a very negative thing in the vacuum and sure it is in a yeah. vacuum but that was necessary. That broken road, if you want to call it that, was necessary for this <laughs> wonderful, amazing thing to happen, the True. union of you two. Then, again, we redefine it as something that was necessary and good. Well, that, it right? just gives you perspective, right? Because as you, every time something like that happens, you feel mm -hmm. like, oh, this is the end, or you know, I didn't get the thing I wanted, right? right? But that's when you start going, well, there's a lot more forces outside right. of my own control that I don't understand. Right. And if I try to seek to control the outcome all the time, I'm going to be frustrated because it's never exactly what right. I personally envisioned. Right. So when I, that also was a teaching lesson for me, even going through college and, and to meet my wife. Like There was a period where I didn't really have a girlfriend and wanted one, and I was yeah. like going, what's going on? Why am I not meeting right. the right girl? Right. I relinquished the need for that at one right. moment and go okay well whatever is going to happen has happened yeah and the silly thing is like it happened like 10 As days it, it happened actually it was a week after <laughs> i mean and, and that sounds like oh that's narrative and you're making that no. it was a week after i made that decision that's right i met courtney at a party it's like you manifested a future by by re by releasing yeah. this this thing that you were gripping yeah the world just said all right you're ready. Yeah, and then right? you, you let go and you go, okay, Yeah, it's, it's going to happen. And it does, and I think that's also important to understand. You and I have not talked about this, but I met Diane, my wife, while I was on a 90-day dating hiatus. I was, <laughs> well, what is that? Is it like a self-imposed thing? It was a, it? Okay. I'm very, I'm weird. I, I self-imposed a dating hiatus. I was, um, I was on these dating sites and going on dates on a regular basis and decided, you know what, something's, I'm not right. I'm yeah. going to go on a 90-day dating hiatus. Well, first off, a, a person that has to in, impose their own 90-day hiatus means you're probably getting, you're not having trouble getting dates, I would presume, it was, right? Uh, it was very expensive. Uh, yeah, no, I can believe that, man. So then you went so, on this 90-day hiatus, but then, so you met a her A month into that? it. Okay. A month into it, naturally as you would, I yeah. release this, and I stop forcing or trying to force this relationship that I don't, I haven't defined, um, and by releasing it, she comes into my life. That's so funny, man. Because it, you released probably the whether the intentions were different yeah. or re whether you were dating for other reasons that weren't, you know, I need the person that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Right? Yes. You change your perspective of maybe the type of person you go after or maybe the things that intrigue you are a little bit different yeah. about the one versus one of many, right? right. And so right. that's awesome. She, I mean, I'm sure she knows this story, right? I mean, this Oh, is she fun. knows yeah. the story. And Does she, she give you a hard you time today. still like about it? This is why I'm weird. She would tell you today that she had to wait 60 days because I was not going to relinquish my oh, 90-day. You, you kept I your promise. Oh, I love that, man. <laughs> 
Well, then that's how you know there's something there, right? If she's willing to wait two months for you, oh, yeah. you're willing to I've do the same. I bent my rules a little bit. We had a lot of conversations on the phone. We would not, we wouldn't go on a date, but yeah. then I would have conversations with her, and we we built a really strong foundation, which actually, again, unintended consequences, right? Well, I think that's actually better, right? You get yeah. to know a person without, you know, the the, uh, the formalities of a date, and I got to put on my right. best show, you know, right. and things like that. You get to know her. That's right. Then I'm sure that first date was like really comfortable and normal the first for you guys, date, right? We we went to a hockey game that we didn't actually go to. We went to a restaurant, and it was our first actual sit-down date. And we were gonna go to this hockey game over here, and 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 we just never left the restaurant because we were talking that's so great, much. It was perfect, yeah. Well, man, I, that's a, a wonderful story. Yeah, it was I fun. I appreciate fun. you sharing that. And you guys Thank have been you. together, what, uh, uh, how long now? 15? We just celebrated our eighth year wedding eighth anniversary, wedding. Okay. so 11 together. Yeah. Okay, so we're 16 and 11 year anniversary for Good wedding man. will be coming, coming up soon. Good man. It's kind of fun. I, when I hit that decade milestone, we both looked at like, a decade. That, that, that sounds nuts. like a long time. That, right? Yeah. And then it was but really like truly this. 16 years because of yeah. uh, dating and pre, sure. pre-marriage and, and things like that. And you're going, wow, we've most of our lives, or at least our adulthood, has been spent together, you know? Well, and if, the, if you think about the development of you in the last then 15 years, yeah, then, yeah, 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 that's you. Oh, yeah. Right? So the, sure. the Spencer that is you today yeah. is defined by her in large part. And the Randy that is me today is defined by Diane in a large part because because the person that I am has developed so much since her. I'm gonna leave a moment of silence because we're gonna cut that up to a clip and we're gonna send it to both of our wives too, <laughs> so, so they, they know how much we love them. I just wanted to pause there so I could, I'll send you your, I'll send you your version too. Thank you. We just got Thank some brownie you. points, man. Good, I appreciate you. So let's talk business a little bit. I feel like yeah. we, we, that's what brought us here. It yeah. compelled this conversation. And so I do wanna hear a little bit about, yeah, I think you've been at Hub, what, 13 years now? Or would I get that correct? Yeah, 2009, so 13 years. 13 now. years, okay. Yeah. So uh, you had a little bit of time. You mentioned Cigna early on. Mm-hmm. Your uncle got you into the benefit space. But yeah. Like, let's flash forward or at least come along that journey to where you are today. How did that all transpire? Yeah, so um, so I start that, that first gig with Cigna, and I was a life accident disability guy, right? Okay. So just young and hungry. Group and, school? And did you do some group, group school? school. Okay. Did group school. Um, but, like, snot-nosed green kid doesn't know a thing. So I'd walk <laughs> into a broker's office, and I'd be like, I'm your Cigna rep. And they'd look at me, and they'd be like, well, okay. We'd have a conversation, and they'd go, oh, I— I thought you were like my medical oh. Cigna rep. Okay. And, and I then, of course, get into this conversation about life accident disability, and they'd be like, I don't want, this is chicken scratch. I'd like to talk about the medical side of it. So very early in my career, I realized that this industry is much, much bigger than what I was doing. Okay. And I realized, of course, then if I want to continue in this industry, which had some appeal to me even out of the gates, if I want to continue in this industry, I've got to be a bigger part of this industry. I've got to understand the industry more holistically than yeah. I was able to looking yeah. through the eye of a keyhole. So um, I made a transition to a general agency for a year, uh, which is kind of a funny story. Medical general agency or? Uh, yeah, it's okay. an organization called Word and Brown. And I was, the average group size was, I think seven to 12 employees. Oh, okay. So very, very, very small. small group. Okay. I'd be sitting in a living room. <laughs> and, and mind you, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. So sure. I'm sitting there talking to somebody and reading, an HMO is this, and I'm reading it, learning it <laughs> yeah. while I'm telling them what it is. You're like, oh, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Uh, now I get I it. Do you get it? Because yeah. I get it. Um, so, so I'm having these conversations with people. I mean, there's dogs barking in the background, right? It's a small whatever company it was. And, and, and I was learning on the fly and, and understanding a little bit more and a little bit more. And it was a great training ground. It's a wonderful organization. It wasn't exactly where I needed to be long term. But, but it was a great place for me to build a foundation. Okay. So then eventually I made that transition to, all right, I'm working with brokers who are 
engaged with these clients. They know these clients, they love these clients, they have a relationship that I can't have through my current chassis, right? Okay. So what if I wanna do that? What if I want that relationship? And what if I want to be able to consult them in a better, more efficient, long-term way? Uh, so it was like, we gotta make the transition. We okay. gotta go to be a broker. Uh, and it was just a serendipitous kind of a thing, right? The law of unintended consequences. But accidentally, I made a transition at a point in my career where I, it, it was possible, right? I was young enough, but I was old enough. Mm -hmm. I was making enough, but wasn't making too much, right? Because that transition to being a broker is like feast or famine for the first few years. Is it? Okay. Yeah. And, and so then I, I did it. And, and fortunately for me, you know, had enough famine that I was hungry and I was really trying, I was, I was driving this thing. And as I was driving it forward, um, I, was, I was working with an organization called USI mm -hmm. and, um, and, and started to have some success. Yeah, who's that? Who's that? <laughs> that, was, that was obviously I joke as people yeah. in the industry, USI, is, you have the same stature, right, of a hub internationally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're yeah. big, great organization doing really great things. Just different things, but yeah, great things. Um, and, and, and had some success that allowed me to, to make a pivot and find my forever home in Hub International. So th that led me to, to this little known organization in California that had just made a big acquisition and tried to kind of make a splash through that acquisition. So I go and I, I, I start working for them and it has been, it's just, been, it's been a blessed path since. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I love the fact that we all eventually find our home, yeah. right? And so whether or not it's the name on the building that really matters or the culture of the organization yeah. or the people around that you work with, eventually you find the place that you just fit. And it's hard, right. it's sometimes intangible to describe why you fit. Right. You just fit, right? right. So do you have 100%. that, yeah, I guess you have that feeling, right? But can I can I go back in time? Because you mentioned something that was I thought was kind of fascinating. I'd like to, I always try to tailor this somewhat to people that are newer to the industry or yeah. getting started or have an interest, right? So that young green guy in group school that was attracted early on to even though it wasn't medical and you found yeah, yeah, out pretty yeah. quickly I need to know medical yeah but maybe some advice for somebody that's hungry that's a young rep or how to get started or how to get over some of the initial humps and you know get yourself kind of some traction <laughs> yeah. in an industry that's there's a lot of high turnover it's hard it's a volume game sometimes so yep. what would be some things that you would give as advice for a young person well you, uh, the advice that I can give probably is the is the advice that I got um, I had a, a guy who was a tremendous, right out of the gates when he was young, like top salesman at MetLife. Uh, his name was Brad. And he was my manager and said, you will never, ever be able to overcome a guy who puts in more effort than you. Hmm. Um, and, and then, of course, the lesson learned in there is put in more effort than somebody else. And he said, the hours that you work have to balance out. They have to pay you somehow. You have to be paid in success. Financial accolades, whatever that is, you have to be paid in some way. The universe has balance. So, so dedicate yourself to this career. Mm. The, the analogy he used is he said, you're a rocket ship on a launch pad. And, and initially. Because he saw something in you that said, suggested you had some potential. Is that why you, or is I, he I'd just like motivating? This is, yeah. this is probably the thing he gave to he, everybody. He, like everybody he said, you're a rocket, <laughs> you're a rocket ship. Yeah. But you're a rocket ship on a launch pad in the way that you've got to put full gas in, yeah. right? You've got to burn a lot of fuel right now to get off this launch pad. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you'll start to gain acceleration and gain speed as you exit the, 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 the gravitational the atmosphere, pull. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, eventually you can take your foot off the throttle and you will continue going at the same speed because of all the effort you put in before. The, the kind of side lesson there is 
But what, what about the person who puts in half effort yeah. and burns a bunch of fuel but never gets off the launch pad, yeah. right? The, the goal is to get off the launch pad, is to get out into space. Yeah. And that was, that's my, my lesson to anybody. And when we hire people and, and they're wondering, how do I do this? Um, how do I be successful? Put in hours that you don't need to put in, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Make, make your Monday night your night where you just stay up really, really late and you dedicate yourself to what this week's going to look like, what last week looked like, what kinds of things can I be doing? Because when you get past the, the I have to do this and you get into the I can do this, there's a lot of magic in that can. Well, and right? then it becomes habitual, right? There was a gentleman on uh, Jorge Arzate. He was uh, he started Machina Benefits, which is a boutique TPA at yeah. Austin and Tulsa. Yeah. He talked to me, and I don't know if this made the podcast or it was before the show, but it was a great piece of advice. And I, if I did cut it, it wasn't intentionally. But he said that um, there's a point where the discipline forms a habit, and yes. you don't have to be a disciplined person all the time because it becomes habitual. Yeah. I think that's kind of what you're describing is yeah. as you get off the ground and it becomes part of who you are, it becomes habitual and a less a have to do is more of just who I am and That's it's, right. it's just part of my, you know, That's right. part of my daily life. Right. Yeah. But I do think it's important. Right. And you're, you know, you and I are about the same age, right. You get to a point where you don't have to be pedaled to the metal all the time because right. it was before for a very long time. And now it doesn't mean you let off the gas, but you're just not hammering it all the time. You, like you, you felt you had to earlier. On. Yeah. yeah. Or, or y- yes, that. And I think there's also the, a natural mastery, right? There's yes. you're never master, but there's always this kind of gradual growth and shorthand in your process and the ability to do something that used to take you 10 hours in one, yeah. right? So it's not taking your foot off the gas in terms of the productivity. It's maybe taking your foot off the gas in terms of the effort needed to get that same productivity. Well, and fair enough, right? I mean, like you could have the most horsepower in a car, right? But if you don't know how to control it, you don't know the, you right. Know, the right way to launch and all these things. But there is a point where just the efficiency of how you operate makes right. it makes you that subtle difference in what your competitors are doing. Yeah. Um, but you 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 triggered something, a thought that I hadn't had in a while. There was a guy I played with in college, an English guy named Chris Greatwich, and mm-hmm. that, that level of effort that you were describing. Yeah. He said that, you know, I, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but it was something to the fact that if you don't put in the work today, somebody else is. And the moment that 100%. you meet him on the field, that guy is going to beat you. Um, you'll recognize it. You'll recognize it because yep. that guy has put in the hours, or yes. gal, right, that has put in the hours that you slacked off yeah. early on, right? right? And that is that very small thing that separates the great from the very good or the yes. elite from the great. Right. It's just that little extra It's a tenth of a effort. percent. Yeah, it really it, it's, is. It's a half of a step in soccer. It's a, right, it's, it's the ability to understand that one little thing. And the interesting part about that is there's nothing he wasn't gifted in their example he wasn't gifted with something that you didn't also have he just chose to do something different than yeah. you did so everybody has that ability to go and 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 put in that extra effort whether they do or not is up to them and yeah then the outcomes naturally have to well, as you said, there's a balance of, or there's an order right. of things, right? And that's again, right. the success may be exact, not exactly the form that you thought it was going to be in, but the universe or life right. will reward you for right. that effort in some shape or fashion. Yep. So, at, you know, we're getting into Hub, right? Obviously, you've had some success there, you know, the last 13 yep. years or so. Um, I know you're, you've got some balance between California and Texas still, but where did the self-funded education come in? When did you when did you discover, because you started down this path, I want to learn medical, yeah. but clearly at some point self-funding uh, became introduced to you. So what was that um, yeah. exception like? Uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. So I, I got into the medical world. Obviously, I got into the insurance consulting world, and we were having conversations with our clients and, and growing this book of business. And then, of course, through renewal cycles, you start to kind of see patterns, mm. right? So, so we had 
call it an entire book of business of fully insured clientele. Uh, and, and you start to see the pattern in the inevitable fully insured world that is either a merry-go-round or kind of a, 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 a cruise to a dead end. Yeah. And I don't mean to be disparaging about fully insured. I think that there's a world that still needs that. There's a simple I button, agree. an easy button that some organizations are seeking. But what I saw and what drew me into the world of self-funding was almost necessity. We were going through these renewal cycles with these clients and the answer was always the same thing with fully insured. Uh, the renewal's too high. We've got to offset this renewal by doing something that is counterproductive to what we're trying to do, right? Okay. And if you'll indulge me here, we're in benefits, the universe of benefits, we're trying to attract and retain people. In a fully insured world, the almost only mechanism you have to offset costs is to do something that then is discouraging to the person that we're trying to attract and retain. Yes. By increasing their co-pays, increasing their deductibles. So we're, we're, we're trying to attract and retain you, but here's my one lever, is bad for you. And that didn't seem like a good solution. And also it seemed like a solution that was eventually gonna run to an end. You can only re increase your, co your co-pays and deductibles and co-insurance so high. And they tried to reposition it as consumer-based healthcare. I know. But what it really means is you now take on more of the burden that's right. of cost. That's, that's all that That's really exactly means. right. Yeah. It's yeah. just recanned in a better, probably PR, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, so there's a better way. There's gotta be a better way, right? How do I get my clients off their heels, waiting for a renewal that they don't know is going to happen, they don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. And then responding to this gigantic bottom line expense as a victim, right? And then pivoting left or right, episodically saying, I didn't know this was going to be 20% or 15% or 12%, either which is intolerable. How do, I, how do I do something here? And again, the answer is only one thing, really. Change carrier, which there's only so many, mm -hmm. or increase deductibles, increase copays. So, so what's a better way to do this? And, and the world of self-funding started to be that answer, Okay. right? So, Was there a formal introduction to that? Or I mean, did somebody take you under the wing and say, Randy, this is what self-funding is? Like, how, like you, there's a discovery process, right, for right. most people, but sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes somebody shows you, I had it shown to me. Right. Um, but how did you get interest, introduced to it? I was, um, this is funny. I worked with an organization that decided to work with us, right? I partnered with a client who decided to work with us and they were self-funded. Okay. I had no idea what it was. So you had to figure out because they no were already self-funded. Oh. I start working with this organization and, and of course we can do, yes, we can do this. We'll do all of the communication, compliance, administration stuff that we can do. And of course we'll work on the cost containment through your funding mechanism. Oh man, what's this funding mechanism? Right? <laughs> what are we doing? Like, oh, okay. There's stop loss and there's not good. Okay. Okay. I get this. And, and so, in the same way that you, the, that kid was sitting in a living room going, this is what an HMO yeah. is. It was me going, all right, so we can pull this lever. Oh, we can, we can do this thing. Oh, you know what? We can put this utilization management tool on this. Mm -hmm. And we, you, we can carve out the PBM and then maybe drive better rebates through doing this stuff. So it was just a learning process through that one um, live example that, that helped us to understand this is well, this see, is I like that though powerful. because it's, it's basically it forced you to learn, right? You had a it circumstance did. where you weren't going to fail, you weren't going to let yourself yeah. fail on behalf of your client, right? So it's like, well, I better go learn this thing. I mean, right. I, I had the same, um, you know, not exactly the same story, but I was working for an agency here in town that almost all of their clients were self funded. Mm -hmm. I came from the world of Benefit Mall, which is small group GA, right. and in a financial analyst role, I didn't even know benefits at the right. time, but I could know enough to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. I obviously had the financial acumen, mm -hmm. and they're like, okay, well, you're going to be doing all the the 
self-insured reporting, right? So you're going to be doing yeah. all the all the monthly aggregate and, and stock like, loss claims. You're like, self-insured reporting? You're like, okay, um, <laughs> I understand Excel, I believe. Um, right. And so yes. over the course of probably about three months, of course, I had support, and they didn't just of leave course, me on an island. Course. But it's like, okay, now I'm the guy responsible for all the financials around self-funding. Well, I don't understand what self-funding is, or I don't understand how stop loss interacts with being self-funded right. so that I can accurately report some company's financials and they make decisions off of right. I'm in a really a difficult big spot. It's a huge responsibility. Yeah. I remember there's still anxiety that comes up totally. viscerally uh, get it. trying to be accurate, right? But then I was forced to learn and I'm so yeah. glad the life introduced a, an opportunity for growth to me, right. but it made me learn it, right? There was no, I never thought about, well, if I don't learn this, I fail and get another job. No, I'm just going to go learn this. I, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I voraciously read these, these biographies and these autobiographies of people who have done really, really impressive things in their lives. And there's a common theme, I feel like, in almost all of them where it's this, this fearlessness about the unknown, mm -hmm. right? They step forward into something that they don't know and embracing that, they learn and grow and become successful mm -hmm. because they didn't allow this, this natural, I think, human response that is, I don't know it, so the answer is no they just went forward into it. And that's kind of what you're talking yeah. about. What I was talking about, it's, I'm going to figure this out. Like, look, I, I consider myself to be a moderately intelligent person. I know I'm surrounded by very, very intelligent people in my organization. If somebody else can figure this out, we can figure this out. Yeah. This can't be rocket science. Um, so let's get it. Let's go do this. Well, see, for me, the, the, now I'm a transition. I'm, I'm a software salesman now, which is bizarre because right. I have no software background. I've never been a developer. Right. I didn't even know. We talked about entrepreneurs need to be kind of naive in what they right. get into. If you don't know the reality of the world, maybe you never actually step into it That's in the right. first place. So I come over, you know, and I'm, oh, I understand stop loss and self-funding. They're hiring me to make sure the RFP software can manage that fluid process. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm a software salesman, which is right. totally different. Right. And now, flash forward three years, I'm very comfortable in my skin doing yes. this, another opportunity for growth that's forced growth. Um, right. So I like that opportunity where you go, okay, I don't know this, yeah. but like you said, I'm moderately smart. I, I give myself yeah. at least that credit. Yeah. I, somebody else has done it before me. I can that's figure right. it out. When there's a will, there's a way. And then I'm learning software that literally was like, brand new to the world right like, i was like the guy That's... that knew the uh, only guy that knew the software in the world too you we talked about responsibility yeah exactly yeah but those are fun man because every yeah. one of those opportunities is now boom the world opens up in a different direction that didn't exist before i love that and i i like the notion of land and expand so i landed in stop loss expanded yep. to self-funding now i'm in software you get an opportunity later in life to, i think to specialize less and be more of the big picture guy right. right or gal right. and that's fun because then you, you go back and look 20 years and like look at all the things you've accomplished because you just kept yourself open to yeah grow. yeah it's the uh simon sinek it's the infinite game right okay. it's the continuous learning and the continuous expansion of your value proposition and the impact that you can make in this world mm -hmm. if we continue to be in our own little lane and and all i'm trying to do is is work in this space to help an organization to reduce their medical insurance by a nickel, that's pretty finite in mm -hmm. nature. Can we be more impactful to the world by doing more things and opening our own eyes to the ways that 
that we can lend value. Yeah, and I think you know, hyper specialization is there for a reason. It is. Right? You know, it certainly is. You think you look at the uh, a plumber, right? Everybody says like, well, plumber is in a fantastic career, and that's yeah. you stay in that lane forever, and it's a great quality of life, right? right? Like that, you that's can right. be a specialist and be very good at it, and you can stay within that lane, like you said. That's right. But I think as you open yourself up just for opportunity yeah. for expansion, you'll discover life is going to continue. It continues to reward you in different yes. and maybe sometimes even bigger ways by just being receptive to the idea of getting out of your comfort zone. Oh man, that's, that's such a huge concept. The, the getting out of your comfort zone, I think is this, it, it's hard, but it's an obligation, I think, at least in my opinion, for us in our lives, mm. right? Because, because we were gifted and born with this ability to go out there and tackle the world. We were gifted with the ability to understand certain things. And, and, and in the gifts that we were given that we didn't earn, we have this obligation to go out there in this world and and then I think from my perspective, push the boundaries, get as uncomfortable as possible and grow, experience life in our little body, right? As much as humanly possible by doing the things like you talked about, by maybe in this situation, expanding beyond your lane and, and, and starting a podcast when you don't have to. Yeah. Because that's scary and new and different, but is so rewarding in so many. But I went ways. to it ignorant. I was like, "Yeah, I want it. A podcast yeah. seems cool. Let's go start it." Well, yeah. Now my my problem is if I start something, I just go into it like really deep, and is sometimes it's gonna be good, sometimes be bad. Uh, yeah. But that naivety, that ignorance about the process mm -hmm. of what the effort it would take, and all that stuff. Well, yeah. That's a good thing. You need that yeah. sort of naivety. Yeah. But I want to talk to you about uh, growth because you you put yourself you described as an uncomfortable position. Yeah. Doing self-funded videos. I've seen a number of your very good videos that Thank you've you. produced within, obviously, yeah. with and for Hub. But you told me that was an uncomfortable position for you. I thought you were natural uh, with the way that you came across, but it sounds like that wasn't actually the oh, case. Man, fake it till you make it, yeah, right? For sure. <laughs> yeah. So first time, the, who comes to you? You come to Hub. Hub comes to you and says, we, we think we have this idea. We want to do it. You're the right guy. How does that come about? Uh, so no Hub involvement whatsoever. Oh, um, I, actually, so that was on your own. And that was Yeah. You. Uh, Hub is a wonderful organization in a lot of different ways. I think primarily from my perspective, because it is so autonomous, I run my own business within Hub International. If I feel like I want to do a podcast or I want to do a, uh, a, a self-funded video, I do that. Mm -hmm. um, and if that helps me then to lend value to my clients and then grow in the way that I want to grow, then, then so be it, right? Okay. That's, that's just my ability to go do that. And there's not a whole heck of a lot of reins. Um, so, so we started doing that. And man, yeah, the first one, I have a little video camera in front of me and I am just, it probably took 150 takes. Did you self-produce? Did you have somebody yeah. that understood how to do it? Or like when you go, I want to do this and I've got this idea and hubs, you know, gives me the freedom to make these choices yeah. and go after it. What is it? What's the, you know, implementation process? What's the planning process? How do you, how do you go? I want to shoot these videos and now I'm going to shoot them. What right. did you do? Yeah. So it all probably starts way before that, where I have this group that I'm a part of that says, it, it, we call it forum. It's kind of like a YPO type of organization that really has encouraged me to grow as a professional, but also as a personal okay. kind of a, an individual. Um, a big part of the conversation that we talk about professionally is that we need to develop a brand, right? That, that Hub International is not my brand. Randy is my brand. And what is Randy? And as you create that brand and have a podcast or you then start to, well, whatever you decide to, to make that brand, dive in. And, yeah. and so from my perspective, it was just making impressions, but it was also making impressions through lending value, free information. What kinds of things do I think I can help people mm -hmm. by sharing? Mm -hmm. uh, and I was compelled to do this self-funding because it's become a big, big 
part of the success of a lot of our clients. And if I can share that with other organizations that look at it and they think that's not for me, that's scary, there's too much risk. Yep. What if I could expose one organization or two organizations to understand that this is not scary, in fact, that this is maybe necessary? Right. Well, and sometimes you need to pull it out of the sales conversation a little bit and yeah. make it somewhat of uh, an objective. Here's what it is. That's it. Yeah, I think I, I did something similar with stop loss videos because it was like, here's objectively what stop loss is. Yes. This is not Spencer, the Sun Life rep, because I was no longer yeah. in the case selling you stop loss for Sun Life. Right. It was Spencer just explaining objectively what stop loss was. That's right. And people gravitate towards that free and open sharing yep. of knowledge yep. where Randy wasn't selling. You know, I'm sorry, I'm using third person. No, yeah, Spencer yeah, yeah. Randy. Randy wasn't <laughs> selling self-funding to a particular right. prospect, you were just explaining the idea of self-funding to anybody right. that would listen, right? I mean, yeah. I think there's there's a freedom and you, there's a dropping of the defense mechanism for the audience right. when you go when you take that approach. So how has it panned out? Like how, how many have we shot now? How many of those videos did you produce? Uh, we're probably at a dozen a right number? now. Yeah, I'm okay. sitting on one that we're gonna be uh, releasing here pretty cool. darn soon with uh, one of our internal RX consultants, okay. uh, which is gonna be fascinating stuff. But it's just, it's a, it's a really interesting way for me to kind of, if through the process, take deeper dives into areas that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully because I'm interested in it, maybe somebody else is. Exactly. Right? And maybe that then lends value to somebody else who could really, really move the needle by by the information that we're sharing. Well, I'm glad you shared that about Hub. And you know, PlantSite's a very similar um, yeah. you know, culture where there's not like, hey, you can't go do this. Right. this. This looks like it makes sense. You're going to be talking about benefits. Obviously, some of the audience is going to be potentially customers of PlanSite right. as well. Right. But there was total freedom in order to go about it, and nobody slapped my hand or nobody yeah. said no. It's it's great when you get within a culture, a company culture that understands yeah. that. Uh, I think Andy Neary says this very well, that they're basically renting the Randy brand or they're renting yeah. the Spencer brand. And not to say that you are just God's gift of benefits and you're going to go rogue and do whatever you want because it's still within the sure. context of what you can do for the organization right. globally. But they allow you the freedom to be yourself, yep. which in turn is a great benefit or a greater benefit to Hub rather than stifling the way that right. you get to operate. And so I think just if more companies understood that you hire great people and kind of get out of their way and let them do the way that they want to do right. it, as long as it's uh, paying dividends in terms of business and productivity yep. and profitability, then whatever form that individual wants to take in order to accomplish it, just let them go. Let them, let them do it. Yeah, Hire them because they're a shining star and not because you want to put that then in a box. Yeah. Let them shine. Like, yeah. let them be who they are. And if that's not the right fit for you as an organization and you don't want somebody who's going to go create a podcast or something, then don't hire Spencer. Just, yeah, just right? hire somebody that's is willing to do a little bit more right. of, like, I'm just going to be blocking and tackling within the organization the yep. way that you tell me, and that's okay, right? Because every right. organization, it, that's, that helps the organization yeah. as well. But like you said, if you hire somebody because you, you feel like you got something there or there's a rocket right. ship about to take off the yeah, launch yeah, yeah. pad, right? Yeah. Sometimes you just let them take off and see where it goes. And I wish Get everything more people in our space, like the benefit yep. space is notorious for being a little bit strict and hyper yeah. kind of... Uh, Conservative, not in political sense, but conservative in the way that people kind of are allowed to operate and function. And I think yeah. that's softening. Well, and I would say also I'd add to that that it is, it's, this is going to sound derogatory, archaic in a little way. It's trying to catch up to where we are mm -hmm. today, mm -hmm. but it's just this old school, hundred year old organizations that like used to ensure the Mayflower kind of stuff. It's yeah. hard for them to get with this and understand what a podcast is yeah. and then how there's, there's value to, to that in that uh, example. Well, I think we're I think we're shifting there. I think we're getting there. But as yeah, somebody, so you know, again, we'll go back to maybe some Big advice for um, younger people, right? Like you yeah. said, you weren't comfortable early on on camera. Maybe it took a hundred takes to get that first one. Yeah. But how did you get over that hump and go, "Hey, I got this. I can do this." 
I mean, it's, it's a matter of just do it, right? right? Get through the fear and understand that the fear is there because it's something that you haven't done, but that's where the power is because you haven't done it. If you're yeah. not fearful of something, then it's probably because you're in a rut of some nature, good or bad, but get outside of it. I, I, I'm a, a true believer in the fact that we will never regret the failures that we have if we took that opportunity to go do that thing. Yeah. I have lots of regrets about things that I didn't ever try and, and shame on me for not having tried them. Maybe I'll go back and do them. Yeah, you but, still can. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, it's the opportunities. Like if it was a flaming failure, at least, you know, like in the man in the arena kind of way, it's like, but I was there. You still stepped in the I arena, it. right? Exactly. Yeah. I was out there taking those blows and delivering. And that's again, back to the whole kind of circuitous conversation. That's what's made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. right? That failure maybe was a flaming, terrible failure that in the moment felt bad. Thank God for that, because that made me who I am. But today it's not finite, right? You maybe exactly. failed a hundred takes and that hundred and first take was a really good one. And all of a sudden you release that video and you're proud of it and people yeah. respond to it and you go, well, nobody saw the hundred failures. I, exactly. I was exactly. a first take wonder, yeah. right? I, I killed it. <laughs> but you know, one thing yeah. I want to kind of land the plane here. And I think we've had an amazing conversation. Really. I love so this. Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah. But you seem to be a value first kind of guy. Like yeah. I know there's Randy, the SVP for hub, but the family man, the father, the husband, you know, obviously within the community of the church seems to yeah. kind of in, in, be infused in everything that you do. So talk to me about somebody that's maybe wanting to allow their value system to be uh, exposed to the world. And then maybe some of the benefit of somebody taking a leap to say, you know what, I'm going to stand for the things that I think are, are core yeah. to who we are as human beings yeah. and not be scared to convey those things to, to people. How do you infuse that in your daily life? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, first of all, I think, I think it's necessary to be who we can be and to, to realize our maximum potential, I think it is necessary for us to be authentic. And if you have a true value system, like faith is a big part of mine and, and God and, and our church is a big part of my world, um, that's not going to be for everybody, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to be for everybody. I am ex- I'm exactly who I am and I want to be associated with and partner with organizations and people and individuals and, and, and I want to surround myself that sounds like a selfish endeavor, but I do. I want to surround myself with people who then are drawn to that, not people who I would have to then be inauthentic around to attract Or defend them. yourself or exactly. defend your ideals too. Like, I, I think that's our, important, yeah. I talked to somebody this the other day and we were in a meeting and they, they were exploring us as a potential partner and, and we were talking through it and, and the, there was, there's a very real conversation that needs to be had in that kind of pre-partnership dialogue. I don't want to tell them that I'm something that I'm not. If I am a really good this, I don't want to pretend that I'm also a really good this if I'm not actually that. Because what, six months from now, they start to realize that, oh, that was a bunch of fabrication and that was something that you were maybe not, you weren't being authentic. Um, That's not good for them. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, and not ultimately, immediately, that's not good for me. and now we forced together this marriage that isn't going to work. I'd rather be in a marriage that is going to work yeah. in business, in life, in all of these things. So, so my values, I, I now unabashedly wear them on my sleeve and we'll walk into meetings and people, either that resonates with them, and I think a lot of times it does because it, it feels right. Mm-hmm. There's micro gestures that people mm-hmm. that resonate with. Um, I think that that's, that's helped me to be the, the better person and, and it translates then into... Um, more partnerships in, in the way that we want more partnerships, mm-hmm. but better partnerships that will last longer and be more fulfilling for everybody involved. And if that's the end of the day, then 
That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what, so that, you know, a couple lessons there. Don't you don't have to be all things to all people. No. And nobody is. So nope. don't try to pretend you are. Yeah. Two, the lack of authenticity means you are you're kind of putting on a show or having to play a character every yeah. time that you meet that person, right? right? Because the person that you showed them isn't really who you right. are, and so you always have, you have to, to go, be kind who, of, was, who was I to? Well, them? yeah. What did I tell? Or how was I? Yeah. I was something else to somebody. It's else. an act, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but yeah. I think the third lesson there in authenticity, I kind of took a, a kind of a little bit of a I don't say a controversial step, but I took a little risk. Uh, mm-hmm. Made a video, I think it was August of last year when we were starting to open Texas back up more fully and the yeah. mask mandate went away. And the post wasn't about the mask mandate. It was about, hey, I'm willing to meet you in person if you want to have a coffee. Yeah. I'm willing to come back in person and talk to you and shake your hand, and I'm going to shake you in your hand and treat you like a human being. Right. I had 99% of the people respond positively. Yeah. One guy tried to get me fired, and which is a really crappy story. Yeah, of course. One guy tried, my CEO was like, who is this guy? And yeah. he just ignored it, which is great, because yeah. it also taught me a lesson, because I had so many messages, direct messages as a response to that. Thank you for saying that. I agree with you. Right. I'm happy somebody was willing to say that. And I didn't perceive it as necessarily controversial, yeah. but I knew within the context of where the world was right now, there was mm-hmm. a slight risk that was being taken right. there. Very slight calculated. But what I found in response is the fear of taking a very calculated risk that I could defend my position on mm-hmm. actually turned into giving me I planted my flag about something that I believe in yeah I found people that strongly gravitate towards that right. and resonate with me and now we might have an opportunity to do business together because we found right. a hook or we found a point that we agreed kind of um, emotionally even yeah. about so you kind of find your audience right so maybe the audience isn't a thousand people maybe it's a hundred people that really resonate right with you it's the right people right. that resonate with you if you try to be teflon to everybody and nothing sticks to you right yeah then then you'll never get to the depth of that yeah. right? you'll never get to the depth where you can actually have an intelligent conversation a meaningful conversation with people who actually share the value yeah well right. i think that's what we've done here today man we've dug dug below the yeah. surface and i talked to you about this i'm intentionally trying to move away from just putting myself in a bucket of employee benefit because yeah. you can only mine that for so far and it's only going to be so interesting to so many people yeah. we get to start getting under the surface and having a real conversation with a human being that resonates on a visceral level a human level and you start to know people and this is why i do this well, I appreciate you having yeah. me on, man. This is like, back in the day, they used to say that you've made it when you get to Carson. Like, this is when oh, I've made it. Maybe the, maybe the orange I get to Spencer. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> wouldn't that be something, man? Wouldn't that That's be it. something? But it's That's been a it. pleasure, Randy. Great it to get to know you in the last couple of years, yep. man. And I really appreciate you sitting down. Well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate you a lot. My pleasure. All right. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, True Captive Insurance, a premier medical stop loss captive for groups of 25 to 1,000. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. Check them out at truecaptive.com.